Welcome to Pod and Market. Imagine yourself walking down a long hallway lit with fluorescent lights. You're under the Gateway Center, and you're going down this long hallway, the kind that is used by janitorial staff to move around mops and buckets. You make a left, you go through these two um, flip doors, and you pull your, you come down to a set of studios, and you wander around those studios. Then you enter one particular studio. Everything is dark. It's just lit with red fluorescent light, or neon light, and sounds are emanating from the wall. This is my first experience going to Gil's, uh, Wolfgang Gill's studio. Um, I met Wolfgang uh, in Black Swan Espresso for the first time, and uh, he just invited me. He didn't explain what his art was, just said, please come visit my studio. I have a studio here in Newark, a project for empty space. And uh, I was intrigued by just his personality and his uh, demeanor, um, and had never seen anything he had done before. And uh, when I walked into his studio for the first time, uh, I was astounded because I didn't know um, for for studio art for for um, for what I, I'm so used to visual art. I wasn't expecting to see sound, and when I say see sound, I really do mean that sound as a visual experience for me. And it kind of changed how I thought um, sound could be portrayed. Um, so let me describe uh, Wolfgang uh, using his official bio. So Wolfgang Gill is a Venezuelan-born American artist exploring the sculptural qualities of sound. He employs sound as a malleable material, one that can be stretched in all dimensions, encompassing height, width, and depth, with curves, edges, and changing geometries. His sound-emitting sculptures and room installations invite the audience to contemplate listening as a phenomenon, offering unique opportunities for the discovery of both the external space and our internal perception processes. Fusing the art object and the environment into an enveloping spatial experience, Gill's work is only completed when the listener actively engages in a personal dialogue with the sound and space. Gill has presented work in venues such as Art Miami Art Fair, iBeam, the Loop Festival, Diapason Gallery, Harvest Works, Issue Project Room, Aspen Gallery, and the Subtropics Biennial. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm going to turn it over to Gil, um, or Wolfgang, sorry. <laughs> and uh, I just want to begin with just, um, do you mind explaining what it is, what your work centers on, um, and how you produce your work? Uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, so... Um, for the last um, six years, I've been um, thinking a lot about um, the idea that, that sound can be treated as a malleable material, um, that sound uh, can be stretched in space. Um, and the way that started was um, working with, with stereo and like trying to uh, uh, fill out the space between the speakers with like minute sonic events and like uh, very detail uh, with a lot of detail like placing these sounds inside um, you know the space between the speakers um, and that led me to think uh, well what if um, I add uh, another speaker uh, so I add elevation to this and then all of a sudden um, this, the space uh, in which the sound was allowed to exist already had a, a geometry to it. It was moving not only left and right, but also up and down. Um, 
And um, that led me to, to think more uh, about sound as material. Um, and um, yeah, it, that's, that's, that's how it started. And then I started building uh, uh, tools, uh, software tools that, that would allow me to um, fully develop that vision. Um, and um, it started like that, and then I, I started calling it sonic plasticity, uh, which is like this framework I, I've been working on for, for those six years. And uh, basically it's like uh, de developing a, a, a language that um, a allows people to, to, to think of sound in this way. It's a very different approach uh, to, to listening. Uh, and also the the tools that that let you make this happen. Uh, so I'm wondering, was your were you first trained as an artist and then discovered sound as a medium, or was it you first were kind of entranced by sound and that led you to pursue an artistic career? Um, I got my uh, bachelor's in uh, systems engineering, uh, so I I'm coming into the arts from uh, engineering mm -hmm. like background. Uh, but uh, back when I graduated, I was uh, back in, in Venezuela, like 2002. Um, no, that's not true, 2008. <laughs> I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> uh, um, uh, back then, I was interested in um, experimental music, um, electronic music uh, with... Um, like uh, chaotic elements to them uh, and like stochastic elements. So like the music of Outerker yeah. that, that has this like broken beats driven by chance or like uh, Aphex Twin, um, uh, these, these folks. Um, and then I, to, in my mind uh, back then, that was like the, the frontier of like what, uh, where, where music could go, mm -hmm. you know? And it's interesting that back then I was still thinking of uh, creative sound um, only within the the boundaries of music. I, I was not able to think of sound creatively outside of music, you know. Uh, and it's, it's like this like really thick boundary that is really hard to like cut through and like and like pass through it. Um, so, um, I, back then I was like writing code to like, like do like, um, algorithmic, uh, chaotic sequencers and stuff like that, but like it's nothing very serious. And then I, I moved to, to, to New York, uh, and, uh, I get, um, presented to the work of like, uh, John Cage, yeah. um, Florian Hecker. Um, oh, who, who's the one who did train music? Was that John Cage? I can't remember. In the 60s, it's at that same era. I, I took a music class in college. Yeah. And that's when I learned about like aleatory music, stochastic music, the kind of like, you know, random music where you just like, l like one of my favorite examples, I think this is John Cage or maybe Stephen um, Reich, uh -huh. who did the t tapes, It's Gonna Rain. So it's too okay. Sorry, not to yeah, yeah, go yeah. randomly into this. Please, but there's a very famous piece of music called "It's Gonna Rain." It's a it's a the recording of a black preacher, a Pentecostal, just kind of shouting out loud, 
and it's two tapes and one is played at like a slight microsecond off the mm-hmm. other, but they're played at the same time. So they right. phase, it's called phase music, that's right, where they phase in and out of each other. And it's right, really right, right. weird, but you you start realizing, oh my God, it's music, right? Right, right, right. I'm wondering if that's similar that's, with yours. That's like the mechanics behind uh, Steve Reich's work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, William Basinski yeah. have done a lot of that too. Um, uh, I, I also uh, got into the, the, the work of uh, Morton Feldman, Lamont Young, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I started thinking of sound in a completely new light. Uh, mm. And, um, and yeah, um, that's like kind of like what motivated me to um, explore sound artistically and to like kind of... Um, put together all these different interests I had at the moment. Um, I, I was, back then I was very, well, and still today, I was very interested in, in like programming and like um, mathematics, um, like fabrication, um, music uh, to, to, to a point. Uh, but but this, I was pursuing these things uh, Kind of like independently, like separated from each other, and and it was it, it is this project that I that I call Sonic Plasticity that kind of like puts all of it together into like a cohesive thing. Mm. Um, so um, so you started out obviously in Venezuela, then you moved to New York. What brought you to Newark? Um, so I moved to uh, Jersey City like uh, six years ago. That right, like maybe eight years ago, uh-huh. uh, and um, so back then um, we, uh, my wife and I, had a, a small two-bedroom apartment uh, in, in Jersey Heights, and um, uh, <coughs> I'm, I'm sure you you know that mm-hmm. uh, the, the like the, the political situation yeah. in Venezuela is is really complicated. So yeah. about three years ago, about about four years ago, my mother uh, moved in with us, yeah. and I, I basically gave her like one of the rooms we had in, in our apartment, uh, and um, so that and I, I used to use that room as a small studio where you would like uh, compose and stuff, and not having a studio anymore like f- kind of like forced me into like uh, mm-hmm. looking for for spaces around. And I, I was invited to do this thing uh, in Montreal back then. And I was like, oh, my God, now I have a deadline. I really need to find a space. And um, an artist friend of mine told me, oh, you should look into Newark. And uh, back then, I didn't know much about like um, what was happening here, uh, uh, culturally and artistically speaking. And uh, I, I walked here. I, I, I went to Aferro. That was like yeah. the, f- the first place I went to. Uh, and um, I asked them for like a space, and but they didn't have uh, studios with walls that would go all the way to the ceiling. Mm. Uh, and because you know I work with sound, there is this issue of of sound bleed and like people not being able to work while I'm around, you yeah, know, yeah, because yeah. this stuff is so loud. So um, they um, say, oh, maybe you should talk to uh, the people over at PES, uh, pray for empty space. Mm. 
uh, and and I and I, I I went there and I I fell in love. Uh, it was like immediately. I was like, I don't, I'm not looking for a temporary space anymore. I yeah. I really want to like uh, stay here. Um, and uh, the more time I I spend in in new work, the, the the more I I understand like how how special it is, um, how special its community is. Um, and and yeah, I I love it. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of crazy to think how how small Newark can be, despite being the largest city, larger than Jersey City technically. Um, but you know, I just run into you at Black Swan. I mean, you and your wife kept walking in, and I thought you two yeah. were very interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, obviously, uh-huh. listeners don't know this, but you're a very unique individual. You have a very uh, unique air about you, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> um, I, I like the way you ask questions. Actually, you're very you have a very um, you know exactly how to ask the right question, which I love about you. Um, and and because of that, you you were able to like draw me in to your studio space back when it was. Um, so for the listeners, Project Empty Space has moved uh, from the Gateway Center, which yeah. is uh, near Penn Station, to on Broad Street. Do you know what the address is? I'm trying to eight hundred eight hundred Broad. Yeah. Um, but when you were in that old space, um, you invited me over your studio a couple times. I've actually been a couple times, and I, I think it was uh, Kevin Darmany, right, who was DJing sound in that uh-huh. that space, and it was just the, one of the craziest things I've ever done. Um, just not because it was like unsafe or anything, but it was just you invited me to, into the basement of the Gateway Center yeah. to a studio that's all blacked out, um, yeah. and all you can see is a red light and the words "honk tweet," mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the name of your. St- studio or is that an uh, alternate persona um the home tweet is a it's a it's a for-profit company okay um and i i see it um as a platform that um allowed um artists uh working at the intersection of like art and technology to um find projects that um, would be uh, financially um, uh, good mm-hmm. uh, while also uh, allowing them to um, develop their skill sets mm-hmm. artistically, you know. So basically we are kind of like... Um, uh, how do you call that? Like a freelance union in okay. a way. Got it. Uh, so uh, I, I I go out there and um, look mm-hmm. for projects, uh, and then uh, when I find a client that has a specific need, I go to my community and it's like, well, we have this um, experience we have to uh, develop, yeah. and it has um, a light design component. It has a, 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 a soundscape. Uh, element to it uh who is available and, and maybe it has like a fabrication element as well who is available and and has you know wants to to be a part of it and then based on that we put together like a proposal mm-hmm. and then we submit that to the client the client approves like we work on the project basically yeah um so so i i really like that it has um that uh, community aspect to it and that uh, it it truly allow us to like keep thinking about the 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 the, the concepts and like the uh, questions that um, we have in in our uh, artistic fields, mm-hmm. uh, while at the same time you know we're we're making some some money and 
make, keeping it sustainable. Yeah. You know, um, and um, that uh, approach uh, came out of um, the fact that I, I, I work in the nonprofit space for a while. I, I was the, the technology manager at iBeam, uh, this art and technology center that uh, they have a, they had a wonderful space in Chelsea and then they moved to um, to Brooklyn to like industry city area mm-hmm. um, and um, it, it was beautiful it was a beautiful place because it was like um, a, a place for dreamers yeah. that they, they, will, they will come in it's like oh I, I'm wondering um, yeah it would be amazing to do this and even if you don't know how to do it uh, and then you would go there and like talk to like to like us to and 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 we would if if we cannot like help you do it right away mm-hmm. we would like guide you into like uh, oh maybe uh, you should talk up with this artist that has been working in that field for a while or whatever so it was like this wonderful place but the the issue with 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 that with with the nonprofit approach is that you're always um you know almost like like begging for mm-hmm. for for funds yeah. to be able to do these projects and then it's like um some of these grants would kick in like a year in the future yeah. and it's like in a year from now you have no idea what you're going to be doing what the other artists will be doing so we were like constantly like you know fighting for resources and like trying to make things happen um so i i i feel like uh, I'm more interested in the in the for-profit approach. It's faster. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's actually funny because I um I when I when I um I took some art uh, not theory but more like art um philosophy classes and and the mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about was the uh, patron client relationship uh-huh. and I'm wondering how much given that you do a for-profit and you do um uh commissioned works right mm-hmm. um what's that like to interact with. In the nonprofit space, you're dealing with a grant making body or some right. public institution usually, whereas with the nonprofit, it's a client, a person, um, or an entity, maybe a company. Yeah, um, we we are open to to commission work. Yeah, but I think like um, mo- most of the work we do, it's like uh, for branding purposes. Mm-hmm. So it's it's artistic. Uh, it's um, but 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 we're solving a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's creative, but it's not necessarily the exactly the type of art we do, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. as, as independent artists. So it's, it's a bit different. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, just to go back to the, the Sonic experience, Please. going to your studio, because yeah. I, I just keep returning to this because it's so evocative for me. Yeah. Um, I remember walking in and um, I think, it was, like I said, it was Kevin was on the DJ. Um, what I loved about the space, however, was um, we always closed the door when we came in. So this mm-hmm. is a sort of square room um, lined with concrete cinder blocks. Um, but it was dark. It was black and red on the inside. And what it forced me to do is, uh, obviously, I did cheat. I took out my cell phone to take some photos while I was in there. But otherwise, I had my cell phone away and I was kind of moving around the room mm-hmm. to see how it changed mm-hmm. being in one spot or the other. And it was amazing to see... Um, or to, it's, and I say it's really weird to say see because it's about sound, but to see where the sound was coming from and where mm-hmm. you stood in position to it, I, I just thought it was amazing. And then to see also your your actual workspace, like uh, on the outside, right outside that room, uh, with all the different like kind of um, uh, I don't want to call them gadgets, but like the different things you were working on sure. and showing me. And I'm wondering, uh, like, like you know, 
what's it like in your studio space? What is the process like when you're constructing something? Because it is it is a fundamental art in the old sense, it's a skill, mm-hmm. but also um, how does it feel to be an artist that's also a builder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, sp- I spend most of my time uh, uh, writing algorithms mm-hmm. and, and researching uh, uh, new approaches to, to, to sound synthesis and spatialization. Spatialization mm-hmm. uh, spe- meaning um, techniques to uh, place sound in space. Yeah. Um, and um, over the last a couple of years I've been um, working on, on fabrication as well uh, and um, I'm, what I'm basically doing is taking uh, a similar uh, speaker configuration to what I have in the studio and I'm packaging it into like a, an object that, that people can collect. So mm-hmm. you can basically buy uh, a sound installation yeah. and, and take it home. Um, You're not joking. So I don't know if you mind me mentioning this. I've been to your yeah. apartment yeah. And I when I, when I walked in, the only thing that's there, well, aside from the couch, sure. is one of your installations, yeah. which is the, the the first thing I think of. And I'm sorry if this uh, may be cliche or might annoy you, but I think of 2001: A Space Odyssey, sure. the monolith, and it's it's it's, it's emanating something, mm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I walk into your living room; it's there. Mm. It's, it's this black monolith, and mm. it looks amazing. And and because you're you're otherwise your apartment's very. Um, um, it, it's uh, sparse. It's, there's not mm-hmm. much stuff there. It right. stands out, and it's kind of amazing to look at. Um, right. It's almost like where the TV would be, except mm-hmm. it's not a TV. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these objects uh, are uh, pr- uh, primarily uh, a a piece of art. Mm-hmm. It's a piece of art first, but uh, it's it's driven by by engineering. So, mm-hmm. it, it, inside the object, even even though. Uh, when you experience it, when you stand in front of it, you don't see a single wire mm. or like uh, anything like that. Um, inside the object, there is a, a multi-channel system. So it's like in the case of the one in my apartment, it has six speakers, but then it also has a computer. It has a, a sound interface, a, a Wi-Fi router, a programmable power strip, like all these elements that uh, basically allowed sound to to behave the way I, I, yeah. I wanted to. Uh, so um, this new approach is uh, exciting to me because uh, sound uh, is so um, um, in, in, in well it's, it's tangible because it's physical but at the same time it's like ephemeral right yeah. It's like it exists as long as you keep putting energy into yeah. it. And and then uh, if you make a really loud gesture in an empty room and then you like cut it, yeah. you can still feel the energy of the sound like yeah. resonating in the room until like it dissipates. Well, it, it's weird to think um, the idea uh, the idea that sound is not ephemeral is only 150 years old, mm-hmm. right? Because before that, there was no way to f- actually record and authentically reproduce sound. Right, but we still kind of forget there's an ephemerality to it. That as we sit here and right. record, the sound that you all are hearing right now is not what we're hearing right now in that sure. same sense. So it's sure. always ephemeral. I never thought about yeah. it that way. But like, even though we're recording, you yeah. have to, to experience your work. It, it's not enough just to listen to it, although that can be cool in its own way. Mm. But you have to be there for that that one chance that you're right. you're getting to hear it. Right, right, because it is fundamentally random. It's fundamentally 
chaotic in a sense. Right. And, and, and the sound material I use is meant to, to activate the room in different ways. Um, and that's like um, the, the phenomenon aspect mm -hmm. of the work. And, and that's why um, I, I don't like put out like records mm -hmm. or, or anything like that, because to me, like the, the, the situation, the, the, the listening context is, is very important. Yeah. Uh, and I, I make sure I, I curate that for, for the listener. Yeah, uh, just to go back to the, the example I keep bringing up, but this room, mm -hmm. it's not the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you being in there is such a different experience than, like, if someone were just to hand over an MP3 file that I would just play right. on my phone. Um, and that's just, I think, astounding uh, part of your work. Um, but let me, actually, let's get into why I, I, like, in general, I wanted you to come on this podcast anyway, but um, specifically, you have uh, a show coming up, right? Mm -hmm. And after that, um, your piece will be in the Newark Museum of Art, which is amazing. So do you mind yeah. talking about that? Um, sure, yeah. First, I'm super excited about that opportunity. It's my, my first time showing, uh, it's my first solo work, uh, solo exhibition. Mm -hmm. And it's my first time showing at a museum, so I'm, like, beyond excited. Um, and um, the way it came together, it's like I, I, I did some technical work for the museum, and uh, uh, through that experience, I, I, I was lucky to, to meet the, uh, one of the curators at the mm -hmm. museum, uh, Trisha Bloom. Uh, and, yeah, she's, like, super awesome. Uh, and then um, we... we talk uh we, we spoke a, a few times uh and um a few months after we met she came over to the studio um and um i played her some of the stuff i have there and like i was trying to um um draw a connection between uh my sound work and uh the work of minimalist minimalist artists such as uh, uh, Richard Serra or mm. Donald Jod, Carl Andre, uh, Sol Lewitt, uh, these guys, and um, I I think she she was able to to see that as well, mm -hmm. and um, and I think that's like the that's the idea behind the show yeah. basically. Uh, we're gonna have um, a few uh, very interesting pieces from the museum collection that are gonna be in a in a dialogue with with my pieces mm -hmm. uh, for for a year. That's kind of crazy. For yeah. a year, you'll be a room over from Rothko, exactly. from Warhol. That's insane to think. About. Exactly. Um, exactly. And there is going to be a Donald Judd piece in the room. Nice. And a solely with uh, ex, um, sculpture as yeah. well, and beautiful work by uh, Victor da uh, Victor Dabson. Mm -hmm. And uh, Richard An Anuskevich and uh, Tony Smith yeah. and uh, Sam Gillian. Wow. Um, and th uh, when will that be? Do you know uh, the dates? Um, it opens on uh, March 19th. Wow. Um, and uh, so just to uh, pull a, a little bit differently, I'm just wondering, uh, since we mentioned a bunch of names already, where... Um, what other artistic output, not just studio art or gallery art, but um, where do you draw inspiration from? Um, are there any particular people you look to? Um, I, I have a, a few friends that uh, we always have this, like, um, it, it, like competition in a way, but like a, <laughs> a very positive one. Uh, my friend uh, Josh Ott, 
uh, is doing very beautiful work um, in the in the visual. Well, he's been doing awesome work in the visual, um, like in the video generation area for for a long time. But now he's also doing like augmented reality stuff and like real time video and audio generation. Oh, wow. So it's like this like gorgeous uh, gorgeous work. I I really like him. And I, I like him as a person. He's a wonderful guy. So um, every now and then we like um, get together and like nerd out. Mm. Um, so he's one. Um, and from the people around me, uh, I don't know, like e everyday interactions with people, like going to um, to Black Swan and yeah. having just like random conversations with people, you know. And Black Swan now has art on the walls, which yeah, is astounding. Exactly. Uh, I think Sharon Ardarlo's work is up there right now. Yeah. I got to meet her, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I just want to apologize to the listeners very quickly. Um, I'm going to try to include as many links to the stuff we referenced. Obviously, I don't want our article that comes with each episode to be ridiculously long, but we mentioned a lot of artists, and I'll try to as best as I can, not yeah. only to include Wolfgang's work in the article, but some of these artists that we've mentioned, because as we talk here, it's great to talk about work and try to describe it using our words, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to look at it, um, which and I'll be sure to make sure that no one's left out that way, that you don't have to worry about us just describing this stuff here. But I'm wondering, is there anything else you want to share about your work that we didn't cover? Mm. Um, well, um, I, I hope that your listeners will, will come to the museum and, and check it out, and um, I'll be there, Yay. I think. Uh, most of the time. <laughs> You'll be part of the work. <laughs> it's just like the well, artist I, in residence in the yeah, chair. Exactly. It's um, like a Marina um, what's Abramovich. Right, like, the artist like, is present. She's always present. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to end this episode like we do with every episode. Um, what are you excited for in Newark? Oh, man. Uh, I must say I'm excited about uh, its people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thing that um, keeps me here, I think. Uh, like, how, um, like, like honest and, like, real people are. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something I, I haven't felt. I haven't felt like, like I'm at home in a, in a long time. Um, and I feel like Newark is this, the, 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 the one place that feels closer to like how like Venezuela used to feel for me. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it has to do uh, with the fact that many people here come from like the, the Caribbean uh, area. Um, and like it's, that feels like home, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it's people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, the people here are, are, are amazing. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm excited. Um, I'm going to take a, a little chance to step back for a second and talk about the fact that this is the last episode of season one, which means we've been on for a year. Sweet. Which is insane to think of. Congratulations. <laughs> I know, my God. Um, my, my hope for this upcoming year is to be definitely much more regular with the output of the podcast. Um, now um, now that I'm, I've gotten a bunch of stuff lined up for the next few weeks, and uh, you should be hearing some pretty exciting content from all different uh, parts of Newark. Um, we have, you know, um, I think we're, we're going to have a couple of very interesting people. I don't want to give it away because I don't want to mm -hmm. you know, put them on the spot yet. Um, but it's been an interesting experience. Um, so I just want to use this opportunity to talk to the audience directly. Um, it's been amazing. Um, I think for the first few episodes, I thought no one was listening. 
Um, I mean, people were. My mother. Hello, mom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like for a second, I was like, oh, this is just kind of going out into the ether, sort of talking about the ephemerality of sound, right? It's just out there and disappearing. But the, re- the, second, the, the way I knew this podcast was hitting was when I started getting people who either heard my voice and recognized it, which is a weird experience, or mm. um, people who, who, when I mentioned who I was and what I did and this side project that I have of doing this podcast said, oh my God, I listened to that. I listened to your episode on X. Um, what I'm loving is um, there are people actually not listening to every episode, which I'm fine with. Um, people are approaching episodes individually. The whole point of this podcast is not to be a giant story arc, but you know, have people listen in on the subjects they find interesting. And I'm trying to bring a wide variety. We've had music podcasts. We've had podcasts about art. We have had podcasts about politics. I want to do more of those eventually. Um, but um, I've also been changing. I think I initially wanted this to be like a panel discussion podcast that was just too hard to pull off with people's schedules. But I've turned this more into an interview and let people share their their experiences. And that's been great. I've been enjoying it a lot that way. And um, what's amazing is um, I've also started having people come up to me to ask about particular episodes that they wanted to do. And we've already had two episodes happen because of people reaching out for the podcast. So I'm, if you guys want to send in your ideas and ask me, I will, as long as it's a topic that I think is relevant to Newark and is not going to be offensive to, to the listeners, I'm more than happy to have you guys on and um, you know help me build this out. Um, it gets me pretty excited. Um, sorry for that long uh, thing, but I just wanted to reflect for a moment uh, about doing this for a year now. Um, so, uh, thank you listeners. It's been a wild ride. Uh, get ready for season two. Not that anything special is going to change, but <laughs> anyway, um, that's it for this episode. I would like to thank our guest, uh, Wolfgang Gill, and I'll put more information about his show and his exhibition, um, and the New York Museum on the, on our, uh, show notes. This is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pod and Market podcast, editing and sound engineering by Bob Frey's podcast logo design provided by Robert Conti, additional creative input by Samantha Cateas. Pod intro and outro music by Dan Myler. If you have a subject you would like to hear discussed on this podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And so I'm going to end with a quote from a book that was released uh, two weeks ago called Uncanny Valley, a memoir by Anna Wiener. Um, Anna Wiener, uh, she, um, uh, she worked in the tech industry. She published this article in this magazine called N Plus One, and the article was also called Uncanny Valley, and it became so popular that uh, she turned the article into a memoir. And she's someone who initially worked in the book publishing industry um, and saw that that industry was uh, contracting and there was no future for her there. So she moved over into tech, and she moved from there to um, from book publishing to a ebook reader to a, um, a data analytics company on the West Coast, to a famous online forum. Um, and what's cool about her book is she talks about the tech industry without naming any names. She doesn't talk about the names of the company. She refuses to, because they're famous companies. Um, but what's really cool about this book, and the reason why I'm bringing it up, is um, I've had a lot of friends go into tech. I technically work in tech. Um, and it's a very, um, the book kind of hits the nail on the head about what's weird being about being a millennial in a world where startup cultures are everywhere and there's, um, a pressure to constantly be, um, chasing some kind of like idea and making that idea turn into what are called unicorns out in the, um, in the Silicon Valley area. 
Um, and it's also a personal memoir about her own growth and about her own um, coming to realize what she wants out of her own life and realizing she's not on the same wavelength as everyone around her. So she has this, um, the quote I'm going to take is from a, a dinner she has with a, with a very, um, with a startup founder who is the first founder she meets that's um, got a very different way of thinking about things. So here's the quote. Progress is so unusual and so rare, and we're all out hunting, trying to find El Dorado, Patrick said. Almost everyone's going to return empty-handed. Sober, responsible adults aren't going to quit their jobs and lives to build companies that, in the end, may not even be worth it. It requires, in a visceral way, a sort of self-sacrificing. Only later did I consider that he might have been trying to tell me something. Thank you. <laughs>